So we've been in this really great series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I have been really enjoying this uh, this teaching. I hope you've been enjoying it. Um, the uh, Today we're going to get into some stuff that is really important to me out of the Lord's Prayer because to, it's to like the most confusing part of the Lord's Prayer to me, uh, always has been since I became a believer. And uh, so I just want to encourage you today. I believe God will speak to you. He'll show you some things from his word. Um, one of my, one of what, what I pray for is, is that God will take information under divine inspiration and he will make it revelation to you, hallelujah, which will lead to application, which will then lead to transformation. And see, I believe that it all starts with the information. But the right information with the right inspiration, with the right revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit, that right revelation will always lead to application because those who hear the word will do what the word says to do. And those who do what the word says to do will go from, from application to transformation. And when you hit that level of transformation, that's when powerful things begin to happen in your life. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Well, that was worth the price of admission right there. So Matthew chapter 6, and uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer, and you'll remember as we've been going through this, and if this is your first service here with us, all our services or all the messages are online, you can get caught up. But the prayer begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we move into this transition where we're not just talking with God about needs and his will and his plan, but we move to this level, which we talked about last week, where he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So the requirement that we're telling God that uh, you've forgiven us so much, we're going to forgive everybody, we're going to walk in forgiveness. And if, like I said, if you missed any of that, be sure to catch up with that online. But... This next part to me is, is troublesome because as I study the scripture, uh, these things that are about to come up seem like they've already been taken care of. And so as we look at these, this next part where he moves on and says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why is that, that Jesus in this teaching about prayer talked to us about talking to God about leading us not into temptation, but delivering us, but delivering us from evil? Because my understanding of the scripture is he has delivered us from evil. That we've been delivered from the power of darkness, according to the book of Colossians, and transferred into the kingdom of light. That we're not in darkness anymore. That evil does not have power over us anymore. And my understanding about from the scripture, and we'll look at some of these passages, is that God does not tempt anybody. He is not a tempter. That he doesn't come into our lives to tempt us and to, to bring temptation. So if you need to do something, it's okay if you get concerned, okay? You won't bother me. But see, when we, deal, when we talk about dealing with temptation, so is God leading us to temptation? I mean, that way that reads there, 
It would almost sound like God. We have to ask God to not lead us to be tempted. And it sounds like, according to this passage, that we have to ask him to deliver us from evil. Okay, so what did Jesus exactly come to do then if he didn't come to deliver us from evil? And if the scripture tells us that God does not tempt, then how, why is it in the prayer? If you, maybe you never have wondered that. But when I read scripture, I like to understand what, what is the context here? What's the, what's the pretext to it? What is it exactly that God is trying to say in this particular passage? And so, first of all, I think it's important because we as Christians, we tend to see these things all combined together to know that there is a difference between testing and temptation. Testing and temptation, all right? Now, a test is important. A test shows you what you know and shows everybody else what you know. No one gives a test for you to fail. Every teacher that's worth their salt is going to tell you that they would love it if all their students got A pluses, 100s on the test. They don't give the test so they can point out who's a failure. That's not a very good teacher. No, teachers give tests so that we can take the test to succeed at the test. So we know what we know. We know we know the information that the teacher wanted us to know. And the teacher knows that we know the information that they wanted us to know. Temptations are things working to try to bring you to a place of failure. Tests bring us closer to God. Temptation. But I hear so many Christians, you know, they combine all these things together. And they'll say, the Lord's tempting me. Well, the Lord's testing me to quit. No, he's not testing you to quit. He's testing you to stay with it. It's the challenge. You know, as we look at this and we, we talk about how that temptation works in a person's life. I want you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of different passages, and you will need a Bible. Uh, or look on your phone or PDA or, or iPad. James 1. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Maybe I should read that again. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. God doesn't tempt anybody. Every man, now he's going to tell us what happens here with temptation. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All right? Every man is, draw, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and he is enticed. And when that lust, that desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Don't err, my beloved brethren. Don't make a mistake about this now, he says. Don't err, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So look, God isn't messing with darkness. He is overcoming darkness. And God isn't using darkness to pull to so to see if you'll be faithful. God will ask you to do things to test your faith. 
That is definitely a fact. He will tell you, he'll put you in situations where you're going to have to stand strong and you're going to have to be obedient to what the Word says to do, sometimes even with persecution and other things that could come along. But here's the thing. He is not leading you into that situation to fail. He's leading you into it to succeed. What everything we read about temptation here is failure. Temptation is what it's trying to do is to entice you, entice your, your lusts, entice your desires. And what is it trying to do? Get you into a place of sin because sin leads to death. Separation from God, not towards God. So why did he say in the scripture... Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because in the prayer, what you are making a what you are doing is you are making a declaration of the covenant that you have with God, that you have a covenant, a declaration of your rights to not be in temptation, to not be tempted, and that you don't have to live your life subject to the lusts of your flesh. And that you are making a declaration that evil has no power over you. That evil has no power over you. We get tempted because we get around things we shouldn't be around. If you stay away from things. You know, I never have problems with alcohol anymore. Do you know why? I don't have it in my house. I don't buy it. And I don't go to places and sit at the bar where they serve it. You know what I mean. I mean, I go to places to eat, but I don't go sit at the bar and say, put a shot of whiskey in front of me. Or a shot of, you know, whatever. Or a glass of whatever. Because, see, I know that if I do that, I am not strong enough and I will be tempted to do the wrong thing. If you keep things out of your life that bring temptation, it's, it's like someone asked me one time, you know, how do you eat right? You put the right stuff in your house. It's hard to eat potato chips when there are none in your home. Right? I mean, you're not tempted at all. Now, you might think about... Make it hard, at least, for yourself. You may have to get in your vehicle, drive to town, stop at the convenience store, you know, scrounge together some coin, and buy you a bag of potato chips. But hopefully, on your way there, you realize how stupid that is. Because you're... Can I get a better amen? You're all like, man. Look, and I'm all for it. Like, I'll probably go get ice cream tonight, Okay. I'll, I'll go do it, but I don't do it every night, all right? But see, I, when, when, when we are dealing with temptation, it's because there is this idea that we have that we could somehow handle it. You know how many marriages I've watched fail? And I warned them. I had, I had, one, I had one guy I was talking to. I said, listen, man, you need to quit flirting with that other woman at work. You need to stop it. Well, I'm just playing around. I said, Exactly. And if you don't stop it, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get in an affair with that woman. And you know what? He was like, no, no, I'm okay. God's with me. God will help me. Look, God will help you, 
But if you're opening the door to temptation, God didn't open that door. You done opened that door. And you will get into trouble. You will get into trouble. You read Proverbs 7, one of my favorite Proverbs. I mean, so powerful because it talks about the young man. You know, the young, I'm not necessarily, I'm a young man in here anyways. And, and, and I'm working to keep this guy a young man. But, but the young man, how does he get into, what, he ends up losing everything. How does he get into trouble? Because he got bored. Boredom will lead to trouble. Stay busy. Challenge yourself. Don't sit around. He's bored. It's at night. He's thinking, yeah, I'm bored, you know. You know what? I'm just going to go down by this woman's house. I'm not going in. I'm not going to go in there because I know what kind of woman she is, all right? But I'm just going to go down there. Now, look, nothing wrong with window shopping, right? I can just go down, take a peek, take a look, but then I'm going to come back home. But see, he goes down there. And he wanders by the way of this woman's house in Proverbs 7. And the woman, she comes out and she grabs him. And she goes for it, man. She's, she's kissing on him and she says, oh, and she's a beautiful woman. She says, oh, my husband's gone and nobody will know. And come on in the house. Everything's good. It'll be great. We'll take our fill. We'll have sex all night long. And you know what he does? It says he's like a lamb to the slaughter. Okay. And look, I, I, I would, you know, the Bible uses a, a, a young man, but look, I've seen young women make the same exact mistakes over and over. I've seen marriages ruined. I've seen ministers ruin, ruin their lives. I mean, literally ruin their ministries, their whole future because they thought they were strong enough. And here's what we want to say. Lord, look, I want to stay away from temptation. You've delivered me from temptation. You're not leading me to temptation. Don't let me lead myself to temptation. And the reason you can beat temptation is because Jesus whooped temptation. You can do it. You can overcome it. Now, not if you let yourself get too far in. You're going to have a hard time getting out. The old rule is, and I've said it before about good things, but if you hang around the Slippery Creek bank long enough, you're going to end, you're going to end up in the creek. I, it's, there's just no way around it. You can't keep messing around on that edge. Wow, Pastor, this is really good. Wow. Look at Luke chapter 4 with me, if you would. Luke 4. Now, this talks about Jesus and the temptations that he dealt with. And uh, he beat temptation. And so you and I can live, we can beat temptation as well. And he's going to show us how to overcome it. So, you know, he's led by the Spirit. He's in the wilderness, 40 days tempted of the devil. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Because he's hungry. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. All right? So that didn't work. He responded with scripture, and the devil took him to a high mountain, showed unto him 
all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this power will I give you and the glory of them for what is delivered unto me and to whoever I will give it. If you will worship me, everything will be yours. Now, this is what Jesus came to do. So he's not, look, it's a temptation. Don't, don't for a second think that this didn't bother Jesus that he was offering him this idea of turning stones to bread because it was. It's not, look, if it's not tempting, it's not temptation, right? So here he is, he's, he's saying, look, turn the stone to bread. You could do it. You're, if you're God's son, you can do it. He's testing his identity. Jesus responds back, no, I live by the word of God in my life. Even though he's hungry, he still can declare it that I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, look, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. That's what you came for, right? And I have the power. I mean, he says it real clear here. I can give it to whoever I want to give it to because Adam turned it over to me. So if you want it, all you got to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus responded back to him and said, listen, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you'll worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, this particular temptation is one that everybody is familiar with. And I'm going to, what I'll call it is taking the shortcut. Okay? The temptation of taking the shortcut. So, we're all tempted with this one. Like, okay, so let's say you want to retire and have a million dollars in the bank. A million dollars in assets. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay? Here's how you do it. Get rid of your debt and start putting money away in places that increase your money. Well, I got three grunts. And if you, because wealth comes, according to the scripture, a little here and a little there. Well, Pastor, here's what I think would be a better plan if I hit the lottery. Okay? So I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy $100 worth of lottery tickets every time I get paid. So one of these times I'll hit that, you know, multi, because you know it's up to, what's it up to now? Oh, I'm so grateful that, huh? Billions, right? Sharon knows, yeah, you better not know. So, <laughs> but you know, see that, because what do we want, you know, it, when people start offering us things that say it will get here quick, you know, quick return, quick investment, all the different things. Let me just tell you, anybody that's successful at anything has been in it for the long haul, and that's exactly why they're successful at it. Because there is no get-rich-quick thing out there. There is a work-hard-save-and-eliminate-debt plan that will lead to great wealth in your life. And if I had a pill up here today and I said, look, if you take this pill today, you will leave, before you leave the service, you will lose 20 pounds. Huh? How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you would be tempted to take it? I think there'd be a line at the bathroom after you took that pill, you know. I mean, how are you going to get, where's the 20 going? I mean, come on. Oh, I don't know if our septic tanks could ha handle that. But anyways, but why? Because who, who in the world wants to hear, 
Here's how you'll lose weight. Eat right and train hard. See all the enthusiasm that's there over that? Gee, what? But see, if you, but, 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 we, but we know that if you eat right and you train hard, good things will come to your life physically. It's not quick. I would love it, man, if I started, when I started working out, if I lost, you know, 20 pounds. Oh, my goodness, wow. That'd be so awesome. Like overnight, whoa. I'd write a book, right? Do this, and I'd make a million dollars, and then I could retire with a million dollars in cash, right? There you go, right? It's a great get-rich-quick scheme, right? But see, my point is with this is that, look, there is no quick path to get where you want to go. You know, you want a great marriage? You're going to have to work hard to have a great marriage. I mean, you got to really work at it. You got to go to classes, you got to read books, you got to talk to each other, you got to cry with each other, you got to get angry at each other, you got to laugh with each other, and you got to work through stuff. And the most important thing is, you got to stick it out. Even when you don't want to. Because that's how you build a great great marriage. You got to protect your relationship with your spouse. You got to protect yourself, men. You've got to protect yourself from this porno world. Women, you've got to protect yourself from this porno world, man. Everything is to get your eye on something else. The minute you put your eye on anything else other than your spouse, you're making comparisons. Because our, mi- our mind is geared to do that. We immediately start making comparisons. Well, well look, at, look at how Bob treats Kim, I mean, I wish my husband would treat me the way Bob, he loves and worships Kim, and my husband, you know, he's a good provider and nice guy, but he doesn't worship me the way Bob worships Kim. See, immediately your mind will start making comparisons. You go walking down in the mall, we hardly ever go there anymore, but, you know, you walk by Victoria's Secret. You better turn your head the other direction. Say, well, it's just pictures. Look, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter whether it's pictures or not. You've got to eliminate the temptations in your life. I have a pastor that I have worked with in the past. He was totally bound up on pornography. I mean, really messed up. I mean, it, it, it just about ruined his marriage. It, about ruined, it totally was ruined in his life. And I mean, he was severely bound. And, and so he came to me and he says, man, I, I just want... I want, to, I, I want to be free from this. I says, well, I can pray for you, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. I said, get rid of the Internet. And this was his first response. Well, I need the Internet. I said, no, you don't. Do you want to get free? He said, well, yeah. I said, then get rid of the Internet. Well, I need email. I said, well, you can get email. That's fine. You can get email. There's no problem with that. You just don't have internet access. So you get blocks put on everything. Get somebody that cares about you to come in and put security codes on stuff that you can't go anywhere on the internet at all. And you know what? He did. He did that. And he told me, he sat down with me about two months later after that, and he said, you know what? I haven't had any problems. I said, isn't that amazing? 
Because when you get rid of the problem, you're not tempted by the problem. You're not tempted by the problem. So there are some, I don't know, but there are some guys here that there are some women that you're talking to, you need to stop talking to them. Because you're flirting with them. And you need to knock it off. And stop writing them on. Look, your wife should have access. I'm using, because I'm a dude. Your wife should have access to all of your messenger services. Nothing private, nothing hidden. She should be able to see it all. She should see all of your messenger, all your emails. She could be able to open it up anytime she wants and look and we'll see what's going on. And you know what? I, I never, the other day, Sharon was reading my text messages. And you know what? I don't ever worry about her reading my text messages. Do you know why I don't worry about it? Because I'm not fooling around. Now, if I was fooling around, then I would be worried. I'd be like, well, why are you like, don't you trust me? Don't you be careful when people say, don't you trust me? You look at that guy and you say, no, until you let me look at that stuff, I'm not trusting you, especially if he's messed up before. Wow, Pastor, thank you. Oh, man. I feel like giving you an offering right now just because you said all that. No, it's okay. But see, I, and, and it goes both ways. I mean, I should be able to look at Sharon's stuff, as, you know. If my wife comes to me and says, you know, you need to pay attention because that, because I've had it happen before. I, you know, this is a big, dumb guy. I mean, some woman's touching my arms and all over and saying all kinds of nice stuff to me. And Sharon will walk over and go, excuse me. Excuse. You know, I'm thinking, man, I'm really cool. She's touching my arm. She's think, saying nice stuff to me. I'm a great guy. What an awesome preacher you are. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're the best I ever heard. Oh, and my ego's going, whoa, 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 whoa. And then Sharon comes over and goes, <laughs> But it's okay, because she saved my bacon a bunch of times. See, I just believe, I know I'm really harping on this, but we live in such a wicked and perverse society today. But look, you don't know what someone else's intentions are. You may have great intentions in the relationships you're trying to build, but be very, very cautious about opening the door to temptation. If you're dating right now, let me tell you something. You start making out, you're going to be laying down eventually. When you're laying down, even though you may have the best intentions of not going any further than that, you're going to go further. Because at some point, your brain totally will disconnect. Men and women... Your brain will shut off, and your feelings will go totally into control. And you won't be thinking about, I wonder what God thinks about this right now. <laughs> How many of you know that's true? Oh, I know it's true. Man, Sharon and I, when we, we, thank God we only had a month before we got married. I mean, we were fighting temptations left and right with each other. Finally, we just sort of had to distance a little bit till the wedding day. Because why? Because look, because I value something greater with her than that, but I know also I'm not dead. Look at your spouse and say, I know you're not dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm very much alive. And so, and she's very much alive. And you know, when you start smooching and making out, 
And it's always going to go further, and it's always going to go further. So the best way to deal with it is always have other people around somewhere. And that isn't always a perfect, that doesn't always stop stuff from happening, but at least have other people around and make sure while you're, while you're courting that, look, if you're going to kiss, if that's what you want to do, make sure it's just a kiss, not a makeout session. Shayla, are you listening to me? I know she is. I know she is. No, they've heard all that. Look, my grandkids have heard all this stuff before. My, my kids heard it too. They didn't always listen, but they heard it. So Jesus, it's interesting. I'm going to have to wrap up because I'll run out. of. Am I that far over? Would you give me an extra 50 minutes? Wow. Glory to God. I can go for a long time today. So all these temptations, and I'll, I'll move on, but the, all the temptations that Jesus dealt with, it's interesting if you compare them to all the temptations that Adam dealt with. They're the exact same things. They're not the same wordings, but they're the exact same kinds of areas. For example, when Adam, when Eve was looking, talking to the serpent, remember this always, that Adam is right there with her. He has not left her side, Okay. Because it says that Adam was with her, so he was there. He was the guy that was God put in charge and said, you're supposed to chase that devil out, don't let him in the garden, tend and keep it. But he didn't say anything. So Eve, what happens is she sees the tree that it's good to eat. So that's food, right? So she was tempted with the, the sight of the food, the beauty of the fruit that was on that tree. Uh, shortcut. Was, were they tempted with a shortcut? God had a plan. Let me be God. You guys work with me. We'll work together in this. You'll be successful. The devil comes along and says, don't work with God. If you take from the fruit now, this is the shortcut. You'll get there quicker because you'll be like God. So it's the exact same kind of temptation that Adam and Eve dealt with. And then the one about the scripture where, where the serpent twisted. You know, he told Jesus that his angels will give you charge. Well, whenever, um, whenever Eve quoted, when the, when the serpent was talking to Eve, he quoted the scripture and they, they mis, she misquoted the scripture and said that, no, we're not allowed to eat from the fruit and we're not allowed to touch the fruit. Well, God never said anything about touching the fruit. He said, just don't eat from the fruit. Now, I don't know why Adam stood there and kept his mouth shut, he could have stopped the whole process right there, but he let it go, and he knew that was wrong, because that isn't what God told him at all. In fact, the enemy said after she quoted that, which was God's word to them, at least what they understood as God's word, he said, you will not die. See, he had her. He had her right there. You will not die, because what did he get her to do? He got her to touch the tree. She, never, she wouldn't have gotten in trouble for touching the tree. But see, when she touched the tree and she believed that if she touched the tree, she would die and she didn't die, then it must be okay to eat from the tree. And that's how temptation works. Jesus has liberated us from the strength of temptation. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has already delivered us from evil. I'm going to read two passages to you and we'll be done. Okay? I want you to go to the book of 1 John. 1 John. It's 
It's right before Revelation. You'll find Jude, and then you'll find 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. And in 1 John, I want you to look at this passage in verse 8. It says this, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now go over to the book of Hebrews. You have to go back a little further, but to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So when he says there, deliver us from evil, he's already delivered us from evil. So why is it in the prayer? Because we are making a declaration of what we have been liberated from by the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not have to be led into temptation because God is not leading us into temptation. We don't have to be led into temptation. And look, we've already been delivered from evil, and so we can make a declaration of our lives that I am not afraid. That's how we can stand up in the midst of COVID-19 and all the pandemic stuff that's gone on and all the fear that's out there and say, I am not afraid, and here's why I'm not afraid. Because my Bible tells me that I have been liberated. Here's where it is now that my Bible tells me that I have been liberated from the fear of death. I refuse to allow anything that could lead to death to make me afraid of death. Because when I die, I'm going right to be with my Savior. I have been, look, I'm living heaven on earth now, but I'm going to be living heaven in heaven too. So I'm, not, I'm just changing locations. When you take the fear of it out, it has no power. Like my pastor, his wife got cancer, and she's scared. She goes to the doctor. She's scared. She's crying. She's fearful. Some of you that have dealt with cancer know what this is like. And she, her, my pastor asked her, he said, what are you afraid of? And she said, I'm afraid I will die. And he says, let me ask you a question. Why are you afraid? Are you a Christian? Yes. Do you know you'll be with the Lord? Yes. Do you know you'll spend an eternity in heaven? Yes. Then what is it about it that's making you afraid? Because we're afraid of the unknown. We just, but now you know. You know where you're going, so you don't have to be afraid. I mean, look, you can quote all kinds of verses about no plague or calamity will come nigh my dwelling, blah, 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 and say all the verses that God's protection and I'm healed and all. But look, until you stand there and say, I have been delivered from evil. Look, fear has no power over my life. I am not afraid because the Lord is with me. I don't have a spirit of fear in my life that I'm afraid of what could come or what could happen or what might take place. Or, the, you know, man, I'm telling you, there's so many conspiracies out there. You know, all oh, the economy is going to collapse. All oh, people are going to die. Anybody that got the vaccine is going to die, you know, within the next three years and, or by fall or whatever. Look, you don't know any of that. But here's what we say. I'm not afraid. I'm not. So what? I'm not going to live my life based off of a bunch of stuff that's unknown to me. I'm going to talk about what I do know. And this is what I know. I, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
When my heart stops here, I'm there. I'm there. Hallelujah. You take that out, the devil has no power. That's what Jesus did. He defeated death, hell, and the grave because he took the fear that people dealt with. That's why we can say at funerals, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where are you? lose. You lose. Death, you lost. You have no power over the soul of that person. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy this morning. <laughs> now listen, this, we're, not, we're not saying, God, please deliver me. I don't have to ask God to do something he already did. He delivered me from temptation. Temptation does not have to control. I am not subject to my fleshly life to control everything that I can't have. I have no control, no discipline in my life. Because Jesus Christ has set me free from the power of temptation. So I can look temptation in the face and say, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. Food, you have no power over me. Hallelujah. Fear, you have no power over me. Because Jesus Christ has set me free. Come on, stand to your feet with me if you would. Lift your hands to heaven and just begin to thank God for that power of the Spirit in your life that has liberated you. The law of, the, listen, the law of spirit and life that's in Christ Jesus that has liberated you from the law of sin and death. Father God, as we stand before you this morning, we thank you, Lord God, that fear has no place in the life of a believer. Oh, Lord, we're not going to deny that we haven't been afraid. But, God, we've turned to you and to your word and realized the power that this life has, has no power over us. That, Lord God, that we have a security in you, a secure plan in you as your followers, as your believers, as your children. Father, I pray for those who might be wrestling with fear today. Lord, they're unsure about where they stand with you. They're unsure about the future. Father God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you draw them closer to you, the name Jesus, the name above every name, that name that every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask Dakota to come on up and uh, the prayer team, if you would. And uh, listen, if you... <clears throat> You know, we bring these prayer teams up here. I, I share, shared this in the first service. I, I always think of these people as trained soldiers. Uh, I'm a big military guy. I believe in training. I believe in discipline. I look at these prayer people as trained soldiers. When we go to war, I don't want to go to war with somebody who don't know what they're doing. Because, you know, people that don't know what they're doing shoot you. Right? 
They panic when the enemy's coming and they pull off the trigger and then you get shot in the leg. People that know what they're doing do not panic because they've been through some stuff. You know, they've been shot themselves. They know what that feels like. They have watched trouble come before. I want people around me that know what trouble looks like and know how to stand up in trouble and say, we're going to get through this. We'll fight through this. We'll believe through this. That's what these guys do. This is what they are about. You say, well, that, well, that kid, he's, he's not even, how old are you? He's 18. Just 18. Barely. What does he know? Oh, my goodness. Can I, I, I'll tell you, I'm just bragging. When he was a little boy in this church, I mean, I'm talking like he was seven. I think I dedicated him, didn't I? I've dedicated him. He's seven years old. I watched, Sharon and I watched him at the altar. He was crying. He was beating the altar. He was crying out to God. Look, this kid has been doing this his whole life, fighting through in faith. You don't think a, kid, a teenage boy deals with temptation, right? Doesn't deal with deliver me from evil. Well, he's fought through some stuff. He's had death in his family he's had to fight through. Illness in his family he's had to fight through. He himself had a miracle where his appendix had burst. And God walked into the room. Jesus walked into the room and healed him supernaturally. Miraculously. Yeah, gave him a verse. What was that verse? 420. 120. Do you remember what it is? Nothing like putting you on the spot. Yeah, I know. Um, We're training soldiers, okay? Right? right? Hey. Yeah, let's put it on the mic. Did it come to you? <laughs> I can't think of how it started. Yeah, I... <laughs> wow, it's okay. It's, huh? okay. it's all right. Does anybody know how Ephesians 120 starts? You give him the first word, he'll get the rest, I promise. Come on, honey. You fiddle on that phone all the time. Surely you know how to get there. I, you do have it memorized, son. It's just I put you on the spot. You got it? Just tell him the first verse, first part. Philippians 120. Okay. No matter what. There you go. There he is. No matter what, um, whether I live or die, I will bring glory to the Lord. Yeah. And you got healed. Yeah. Amen. No matter what. No matter what. <laughs> hey. Give him a hand, man. You want to be up here? I'll, I, I put pressure on people. But here's, here's the thing. We're, these are soldiers. And that's my point. So look, if you're in a battle, don't leave here like going, well, I don't know. There's nobody, there was nobody old up there to pray. These are all kids. Well, good. Good. Well, Stephen's old, I guess, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But don't leave without getting prayed for. Because they're going to get in the trench with you and they're going to fight through this thing with you. Amen? You got something? Go ahead. Yeah, 